Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's go back to the Word of God here. We're starting off with verse 9, going through verse 13. If uh, I were to tell this congregation this morning that my rich uncle left me a million dollars, and instead of spending it on myself, because I'm such an unselfish person, I've decided to buy luxury cars and give them to 20 of you. Uh, If I actually was doing that today, I would probably have attention of some of you that usually don't pay much attention. Uh, Some of you might even be taking notes uh, to figure out uh, how you can get in on that. Uh, So if I would spend the next 35 minutes outlining for you what I have in mind about these gifts, uh, you might wonder, are you part of the elect? Have you been chosen to receive some of these gifts? And if so, how can you get them? so you'd be asking those kinds of questions. How do I receive those gifts? Uh, and how, if, uh, if I can receive those gifts, what are those gifts? You'd be very interested in that, I think. Well, I don't have any gifts for you. No cars or anything like that. You knew that right up front, I think. But what I do have for you is something much better than that. The Lord himself has given us incredible treasures and riches that are far beyond anything materialistic I could ever give you or anybody else could ever give you in this life. What the Lord has for us is beyond all measure and uh, it is ready for all those who have met the conditions of receiving those gifts. So as we look at that today, as we look at this passage of scripture, this is what we're talking about. Here's what we're going to look at today. Uh, We're we're going to look at this. If, If you, what are the treasures, what are the riches that Christ has for you? And after we look at that, we're going to ask the question, how can you get them? How can you understand them? Uh, How how can you get a handle on what these riches are so that you can use them? That's our two questions. Now, we're going to go in reverse order. We're going to start off by looking at what these gifts are. What are these riches? What are these treasures? And that's actually going to be our our subject today in verses 9 to 13. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the conditions that have to be met in order to have those, those treasures and understand them. Today, we're looking at what those treasures are. And so to do that, we're going to take an imaginary trip this morning down to the law firm of Paul and Silas on, on the streets of Corinth in first century times. We're going to go down and we're going to sit down in their law firm. They're going to open up a document for us, something like a will uh, and testament. He's going to open up that document for us and he's going to begin to explain several facts about these treasures, these riches that the Lord has for us. But the first thing we're going to find out is, is the contents. What, what are in there? If you, I've never seen this done except on television. I don't know if maybe somebody could tell me if you've done it. But, uh, you know, you go to the, actually go to a law firm and they open up, the read the will, tell you about all the money that goes to whoever. I've never actually seen that done. Maybe with very rich people it's done. I don't know. But we're going to do it today. We're going to sit in Paul and Silas's a room, the will is going to be open, we're going to see what the content is for us, what does God have for us, and we'll see what that is. And all we know about it is verse 9, for the most part, it says, things which I have not seen, and ear have not heard, and which have been entered in the heart of men, all that God has prepared for them who love him. What we know right off the bat is whatever God has for us is staggering, it is beyond our imagination, it's beyond anything we could comprehend. Uh, that's never entered our mind, what, uh, the, the preciousness, the wonder of these treasures and what they are. You, you know, you hear all the time about people playing the lotteries and so forth, and uh, I find it almost humorous when I hear an advertisement or somebody talking, and I heard this even yesterday on the radio, of a lottery somewhere that has reached almost a half a billion dollars. And people are really getting excited, and they're all going down and putting their money in. They want to win a half a billion dollars. 
And when I hear that, I think to myself, you know, the week before it was 400 million, and a couple weeks before that it was a quarter million, and some months ago it was 20 million. Wasn't that enough? You know, when you finally get up to a quarter or a half a billion, is that when you get excited? But let's think about it for a moment. What if you were to win something like that, millions and millions of dollars, your imagination would go crazy, wouldn't it? Where's, where's all the places I can put my money? Where's all the, what's all the things I could buy with all that money? So your imagination would just be, at first, just, just out of all proportion, right? So let's think for a moment of what God has given us that is out of all proportion to the way we think and, and believe and, and understand. It's just un- incredible. Now, Paul doesn't give us a lot of details on what's in this treasury, this content, these riches. He does give us some here, and then the rest of the New Testament fills it in. But let's start with eternal life. Here's part of the contents, verse 18 of chapter 1. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. So we start with eternal life. We we start with salvation. And for those of you that have been saved a long time, maybe you take that for granted. I, I imagine you do. We'll talk about that kind of stuff in a moment. But it's so easy, isn't it, just to take for granted the very fact that you've been saved from your sins. You have been redeemed. You have been, you're in, you're in right relationship with Almighty, Holy God, that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Uh, what, what could be better than that? Absolutely nothing, as a group sang this morning. What, what wonderful th- themes were, were sung that, this morning about all of that, and so easy for us to just say, ho-hum. Oh yeah, I know that's true. I, I know that when I, uh, I die, I go to heaven. Oh, ho-hum, what's for lunch? That's, that's sadly what happens sometimes. But what a great treasure we have in eternal life. Secondly, uh, we find here, also in this context, God's wisdom. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Uh, the wisdom of God. This is the context of the passage, right? If you don't believe that, all you have to do is go back to chapter 1, verse 20. And go to, chapter, uh, to the end of our text today, 2.13. And count up every time the word wisdom or wise is mentioned. Seventeen times in this short little section, wisdom of God or wisdom of some kind and, and, and wise is mentioned here. Do you think that might be the theme of the passage? We have the wisdom of God that has been given to us. That, there's a treasure that we're going to look at a little closer in a moment. The world does not understand this wisdom. The world is absolutely blind to this wisdom and doesn't know it. And by the way, according to verse 18 above, chapter 1, verse 18, um, they're not impressed that, that we know it. When we, when we speak the wisdom of God uh, in, in, its, in salvation and Christian living and morals and values, when we speak the wisdom of God, the world says it's foolishness, it's nonsense, and we're bigots and hater, haters. Don't be surprised when that happens because the world is not only blind to the wisdom of God, it hates the wisdom of God. Always has. Sometimes it's more obvious than others. Here's another one, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Go over to chapter 3 and look at verse 16. In 3.16, just a page over in your Bibles probably, you see these words. If any, uh, do, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? In the context of chapter 3, and when we get here in a a few weeks, uh, you'll see that in chapter 3, it's not talking about the individual being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
It's talking about the church of Christ collectively being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, not, not the individual. In chapter 6, verse 19, it talks about the individual. But the point is, one of the great treasures, one of our great riches, is that God lives in us. Have you thought about that recently? That if you are a Christian, you carry around God? God lives in you. Wow, what a, what a wonderful treasure, what a riches, something we could never obviously deserve. Going back to chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, that we'll look at next week, we also see that we've been, have given, been given a new nature, energized by the Holy Spirit. Look at 2.14. But a natural man, that's an unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand him because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. And so we have here the very nature, a new nature, a new capacity within us. So that, that, that as energized by the Holy Spirit, we are, the, we are enabled to understand and live out the wisdom of God. Now we could go, if we went through the New Testament, we could spend days talking about the various treasures that are ours. We have, peace, we have the peace of God, and we have peace with God. Uh, we have inter, the intercessory prayer of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Uh, we have the Word of God given to us, and on and on and on and on we could go for, for hours discussing all the things that we have uh, in Jesus Christ. So it's no wonder that the content here in verse 9 says what it says, this generality, that this is beyond anything you've ever seen, anything you've ever heard, anything you've ever thought about. But of course he has given us already some of the pieces. So that's the content. Let's look now at a second piece, and that is the administrator. Uh, if you are having a, a will read, you have an administrator or, or an executor, who is going to administrate that will. And so we have an administrator in chapter 2, verse 10. For to us God has revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man, which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Humans do not possess the quality that would make it possible to know God are God's wisdom. You don't have that capacity by birth. You don't naturally have that capacity. Just as only humans understand humans, it says here only God understands God. Therefore, we need a link to the mind of God because we don't have it and we can't find it. We need a link to the mind of God. What is that link? The link it says here is the Spirit of God Himself, the Holy Spirit of God. Left to ourselves, then there's no hope of understanding these things. Look at verse 10. It says, even the depths of God. Now, is he talking about deep things? Is he saying the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to us the deep things of God? And so only a certain class of Christians, those that have really dug into the Word, those who have really studied deeply, maybe gone to Bible college or whatever, only those get this deep stuff. Well, there's some truth to that. The dig... The deeper you dig into the, into the Word of God, the more you're going to unearth, and the more you're going to appreciate, them, and the more you're going to grow. All that is excellent. All that is very good. But in verse 11, he, he explains what he's saying. And he's not saying that only a certain class of, of deep diggers can understand these things. Look at verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man who's in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. What he is saying here is this. 
Only the Spirit knows the mind of God. And therefore, only the Spirit, uh, the only way we're going to know the mind of God is through the link of the Holy Spirit. He is the connection. He is the means by which we understand uh, anything at all about the mind of God. In biblical counseling, we sometimes use the term halo data uh, or uh, body language to some degree. That means that as we're counseling somebody, as we're talking to somebody, uh, we watch their countenance. Uh, what, what, what do they look like? You know, what, what are we seeing in their eyes, in their, in their body posture, in the, in the way they're receiving the Word of God? It helps us understand. It helps us communicate a bit. But it's not infallible by any means. You cannot know what's in the mind of someone else really until you talk to them. Until they tell you what's in their mind. You've all tried to communicate with somebody, especially your spouse, and you say, I know what you're thinking, and they immediately let you know that you're wrong. You ever, ever been there? I might, I'm the only one that's been there. I think it's pretty obvious that most of you have been there. You don't know what's in the heart and the mind of someone unless it's communicated to you, really. You might have pieces, but you don't know the full thing. So that's what he's saying here. If you want to know the mind of God, uh, you want to know the deep things of God, the thoughts of God, is the Holy Spirit that brings that to us. He is the administrator of that. If we pop back to verse 9 for just one second, last week I, I told you, I mentioned to you that verse 9 is usually used by people, interpreted by people, to speak of uh, life in heaven, eternal life. And, and it's, it's, we, we look at this, in heaven here's what life is like. It's so beyond us we can't even comprehend it. Now that's absolutely true. But as I told you last week, that is not what he's saying here. The context is what we know now not what we will know then. But let's go with that for just a moment. And let me ask you this question. Are you eagerly waiting for uh, the time when you are walking with the Lord in eternity? Now, if you're a Christian, I trust you said yes to that. That you're eagerly waiting, you're looking forward to that day when you lay down your burdens, you lay down your cares, when you receive an eternal rest in His presence where you can magnify Him and worship Him forever. Every Christian, every true Christian looks forward to that time. So if that's true, let me ask you about right now, because we're looking at the treasures that we have now, okay? Let me ask you right now, how much do you enjoy the treasures you have now in this life? How much are you appreciating the benefits and the privileges of the Christian life right now? Part of the problem with the people at Corinth, which is really still a young church, six or seven years old, part of the problems at Corinth was that somehow they had already lost the wonder and the awe of God and of Christ and what he had come to give. All their problems that we're going to look at in the weeks to come, all their problems go back to the fact that they were, they were moving from the greatness and the centrality of Christ and on to other things. They had already lost a lot of the wonder and the awe and the, and the joy of the Christian life. And they were taking for granted these things. That's a human trait, isn't it? That's one of our ugly traits, taking good things for granted. Uh, we, we think back in the Old Testament. Uh, remember when the uh, people of Israel went out into the wilderness and God began to feed them with manna. They had no food. They were going to starve out there. God began to drop manna in the wilderness all along. And when it first started, they, they were thrilled. Well, you know, think about that. Every morning you went out and there was a wonderful loaf of bread. 
It was like a Krispy Kreme factory blew up every morning, you know? And they're all over the place. Okay? And at first you're thrilled to death that you can go out there and pick this up and eat it. And then after a few weeks and a few months and a few years, they weren't so thrilled, were they? You know, some of you get, uh, you, you think you're persecuted if you have to eat leftovers. You know, you remember, remember Thanksgiving? You get this turkey, half of it's leftover. You have to eat it for the rest of the week. And you cook it, and you bake it, and you boil it, and you put... And by the end, you, by the end of a week, you, you don't want to see a turkey for the rest of your life. You know, can you imagine for 40 years, getting up and picking up manna and eating it? Uh, no wonder they complained. I mean, we would complain too. Uh, but they saw what was a miracle as commonplace. Unfortunately, that's uh, all too normal experience, isn't it? It's a sad thing to realize that the things of God can become so common to us, and yet it's the way it is. Look at the benefits God gives us that we don't appreciate. We've all thought about the fact that we don't appreciate our health till we lose it, right? And then when we lose it, we want it back, and then if we get it back, we immediately forget. We all, uh, we don't appreciate our, our loved ones until they're no longer around. We don't appreciate our children until they've grown up and we look back. And the children don't appreciate their parents until they try it themselves. You know, that's, that's how they, they learn a lot right there. Same thing happens in the spiritual realm as well. Uh, God has revealed through his spirit so many things. It's easy for us to take for granted the fact that we have access to prayer to Almighty God. You think about that? Matter of fact, if you go in there and look at the uh, tabernacle later, the tabernacle was designed that people could not have direct access to the holiness of God. It was, the holiness was there, but the direct access in the way we have it today was not. We have direct access to Jesus Christ, to the holiness of God, so that he call, tells us in Hebrews to draw near. We take for granted the word of God. That most of us have a dozen Bibles in our houses that we can take for granted and never pick up and read. We take for granted the body of Christ. Uh, the, the body of Christ can be a throwaway in many cases. We don't need other people. We don't need people to encourage us and teach us and fellowship with us and for us to give gifts to them as far as our, our ministries and so We don't need that. Uh, even though Christ developed the body of Christ and told us the value of it, we can easily take it for granted. We can take for granted the gifts and the abilities the Lord has given us to serve Him. So easy to do these things. Things that angels desire to look into, Scripture says. Things that the Old Testament saints couldn't even imagine. Things that the early Christians couldn't get over are things that can become old hat for us if we're not very careful. In the early church, I was amazed when I grew up. It was interesting. I came from a good church, but they kind of, the sermons and so forth was usually around three topics. Um, witnessing, church attendance, and tithing. That was pretty much the staple. And uh, as I grew up and looked into the scriptures myself, I found it interesting, all those things in the Bible, by the way, uh, giving, not tithing, I don't think for Christians, but giving, and telling people about Christ, and, and being together as a body of Christ. But as I began to pour over the New Testament scriptures for myself, I found the interesting things. Those were not majored on. There wasn't a lot of scripture saying go out and witness. There wasn't a lot of scripture saying give your offerings. There wasn't a lot of scripture saying you've got to be at church. Those things are mentioned, 
but it's not the burden of the New Testament scriptures. And I, and I spent a long time growing up in my 20s and so forth wondering why would that be the case? Why was it that, that our, in our church we were told that all the time, but the New Testament scriptures didn't? And my conclusion, right or wrong, is that they didn't have to tell these people to do those things. They were so excited about the things of Christ and the Lord himself that nobody had to tell them, you've got to go out and witness. They wanted to tell people about Jesus. They were so excited about the work of the Lord that they, you, nobody had to say, you've got to give your offerings. We've got to have a campaign, a capital campaign to trick you into giving more money. They wanted to give, even beyond what they should have given, it says sometimes in Scripture, what could, they could afford. They didn't have to be told too often that you need to come together as the body of Christ. I, only, I can only think of Hebrews uh, chapter 10 where that happens once. Because they wanted to be together. They needed each other. They loved each other. They ministered to each other. Nobody had to beg them to do these things. They wanted to do these things. And I think that was the difference. At the same time, I, I want to be very careful. I, I don't want to give anybody the idea that these things are not important. You ought to be able to tell people about Christ. And hopefully you're doing so. Uh, some of you may remember Dawson Trotman, who was the founder of uh, Navigators. Uh, he was working with a campaign that was coming to a city, a, what they used to call revivals or crusades. And he was trying to go to the call churches to find out if they had people there that could serve as counselors for people that wanted to get saved. And he was calling different churches. And he called one very large church in town and talked to the secretary and said, I'm looking for people who know their Bible well enough that they can tell somebody how to become a Christian. And the secretary said, could you repeat that? And he repeated it. And she paused for a long moment and said, we used to have a guy like that here, but he moved. Well, that's a sad case. Let me, let me just say this, without pounding it, if you don't know how to lead someone to Jesus Christ, you should. And we, we have classes all the time to show you how to do that. You need to know that. But, that. but from the passion of your heart, you want other people to know Christ. Okay, the content we've seen in verse 9, the administrator of the Holy Spirit in verses uh, 10 and 11. Now we have an agent, verses 12 and 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in the words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The Holy Spirit is the administrator. He is the link. But he uses agents to take the, what, the, the mind of God, the thoughts of God, and bring it to us. What, who and what are those agents? Now, what I want you to look at, here's where you have to put on your thinking cap for a few moments. The, it is obvious in the text when you take the time to look at it. But most people, if you're not careful, blow right through this and miss an important piece of what the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, is saying. He is not teaching here that through some mystical experience you can know the mind of God. That the Holy Spirit is going to communicate to you directly in direct revelation, and tell you what God thinks. That's how most people use this passage. That is not what he's saying. Now how can I, how can I demonstrate that to you? Go back to verse 5 of chapter 2. Verse 5 of chapter 2, we see the word your, so, so that your faith. Up till now, he's been talking about them. And then in verse 6, he immediately changes pronouns to we. And he stays with the pronoun we until he gets to chapter 3, verse 1. 
he is not talking about the same group of people. Uh, we know that right off the bat with verse 6. Yet we do not speak wisdom, uh, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. He's not talking about the Corinthians. They didn't speak wisdom at all. That was their problem. So who's the we? Who are the people he's talking about that has this, this insight, who is taking the mind of God, communicated through the Holy Spirit, and giving it to the Corinthians and others? Who's doing that? Let me suggest to you, Paul and the other apostles are doing that. You have to go with me to Ephesians chapter 3 real quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, I mean. And look at verse 20 for just a second. Ephesians 3, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 2.20, speaking about the church, and, and he says this, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, verse 5 of chapter 3, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to whom? The holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To whom was the mind of God revealed? The holy apostles and prophets. So when we go back to our passage, that's what he says all the way through. You go home and study it. The we, the we stands up all the way through. Paul is, not, Paul is talking about inspiration and revelation. The Holy Spirit reveals the mind of Christ, the mind of God, to these apostles who in turn reveal it to us. Where? In the scriptures. Look at real quickly at three truths about inspiration and revelation. First of all, the source, chapter, going back to our passage, chapter 2, verse 12, what is the source? Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So, so the world, this information, this is what he wants to teach us, is not found in the world. It's found in the spirit. Now that doesn't mean that you can't learn things from the world. There are certain things that the Bible doesn't cover. For example, if I wanted to, uh, to uh, build something with wood, uh, I wouldn't go to the Bible to figure out how to do that. I would talk to Kevin Hervroka or Jim Hamilton. If I wanted to um, uh, find out whether, what clothes match, what tie matches my suit, I don't go to the Bible, I go to Marsha. Okay? <laughs> Those things aren't revealed there. What, what is revealed there is how to live life, how to know God, how to live for God, how to be the people that walk in the wisdom of God. That's what the Word of God is about. That's what's there. And there's the source. Now what's the purpose? Go back to verse 12 again. And he says, so that. And you notice that word, so that? He's building a link. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. The purpose of this revelation is that we might know the things given to us and revealed to us by God. And thirdly, the communication in verse 13, which things we also speak. Now notice, we also speak, the apostles. The apostles not only have received the mind of Christ, they have translated it on. They have communicated it to others, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. They communicated in person and then in the Holy Scriptures that you and I might know His Word. Go back to Jude 17, one verse of Scripture before we close it down. Jude 17. Jude 17, 
This is representative of many, many scriptures that says this concerning the word of God and the apostles. Jude 17, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Consistently in the New Testament. It takes us back not to our mystical experiences, not to the, the wisdom of the world. It takes us back to the apostles who, who received the word of God, the mind of God, and translated it onto us so that we have it in his word. And how sad it is, folks, when we don't have uh, the knowledge of God's word that enables us to live for him. Because the wisdom of God is available, as scripture tells us here, through the teaching of the Bible, translated from the Spirit to us. What a blessing we have. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you now this morning for your precious word and for the things we've learned about your wisdom. Father, enable us now to to, uh, contemplate these things and live these things this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.